What can I represent up here that is of value to people that are into the band or, or, or just watching us? Welcome to Artist as Leader, where we explore the intersection of creativity and leadership. I'm Corey Madden. And I'm Rob Kramer. And in this episode, we're going to hear from Bob Crawford, the bass player for the folk rock band, the Avid Brothers. I can't take the criticism. I'm eating up with cynicism. All the colors in the prism entering my eyes. Still can't change my mind. Though Bob may not be a biological Avid brother, he is unquestionably one of the Avid brothers. Having joined the band in 2001 before they released their first full-length album, Country Was. Almost two decades later, and with ten albums, four Americana Music Awards, and three Grammy nominations under their belt, the Avid Brothers continue to sell out their tours to tens of thousands of diehard fans around the world. In 2016, the band's creative process was examined in an HBO documentary, May It Last, A Portrait of the Avid Brothers, co-directed by Judd Apatow. The film also documents a more personal story, that of Bob Crawford's daughter, seven-year-old Hallie Crawford, and her treatment and rehabilitation from brain cancer. We see how tight-knit musical collaborators and the fans they've gathered over the years rallied around a family in need. Bob and his wife, Melanie, joined two other families who founded Press On Fund, which raises money to discover groundbreaking cures and therapies for childhood cancers. Our interview took place in Hillsboro, North Carolina. I started by asking Bob if he thought of himself as a leader. No. <laughs> uh, no, I, um, I think w what happens with, with the, like in the case of the Avid brothers and with the success of the band and um, the f fan base that, that we've, you know, somehow uh, have been so blessed to, to, to be supported by, um, you you over time you know you kind of realize because we're coming in we're like almost 19 years as a as an organization as a as a band and you you kind of realize that what you started out doing for yourself has become to mean a whole lot for a whole lot of people and there is a um a duty to uphold that in its best possible um in the best possible way, in the most responsible way and respectful way. It's interesting because you're in a family band, right? And you hear all these stories about how tension and craziness mm -hmm. can happen in family bands. Where do you see or how have you developed your dynamic of where you fit into the structure of that and when, uh, when you follow, when you step in and lead? Um, like how did you work through that and figure out where your role is in the dynamics of that? Yeah, a lot of that was worked out uh, just in day-to-day -day life without realizing it was being worked out. But um, the, the thing about Scott and Seth is they are, uh, they have their moments of conflict. They've had their moments of conflict, but rarely has it ever been, um, I guess how I put it is I have, I've only had to leave the room about once or twice in tw 20 years where it's like, okay, these guys have to work this out alone um, and you usually I, I try to follow their lead you know we are 
we are 33%, you know, of, of the decision making. Uh, so there are times where I, I have to make a decision and I have to choose a side based on the facts and the situation at the time. Now, are you talking in the creative work or in the both. administrative life? Both. Both yeah, sides. Both. Okay. But more on the administrative side. Hmm. Um, but there have been times where uh, even like with a set list decision or a song decision where it's become kind of like absurdly uh, contentious, which is, is when we, you know, when, when there are certain things that become contentious occasionally and you after you get past that moment you look back on it and say this wasn't contentious because this was a hard song decision to make or a placement of a song in a you know in the set list or an argument over a chord um this is contentious because we're all tired <laughs> um but yeah yeah so so i am the third vote often we do have a kind of a a rule where you know, if two say yes, it carries the day. But then there are other situations where, you know, that's not 100% because, you know, something that I'm not going to get into right now came up recently and it, it was a two, two to one. And the one, the one carried the day because there were um, other circumstances that, that were, that deserved uh, uh, respect and, and understanding. And so I think what I want to say here is that with Scott and Seth, they were raised, uh, literally raised by their parents to, to say, hey, you're each other's best friend. It's a hard world. There's a lot of people out there that are gonna be against you. You guys need to be for each other. And so I think just that um, belief and, and being those guys being rooted in that uh, mitigates things before they get off the rails. Sure. How did you um, build trust with each other? You know, you're the outsider in the third leg of the stool, yeah. right? How do you build trust where your voice matters, your opinion matters, your um, your presence matters? I think I've, I built trust a few ways because yes, there was. They had come from a situation. We were all much younger. It was a completely different time of our lives, but they had come out of a rock band that was come the wheels were coming off and there were and the thing was they were all very close friends they were a very tight group of guys scott seth and the other guys in the group and uh since childhood for most most of them and so it was very painful and i think when i came about they didn't want to be get get attached to anybody or they didn't want to they just didn't want they wanted someone who worked for them even at that point i think um, and the way I, and it was a slow process, but I, the way I did it was, so we would play, like I was in school at Winthrop University in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Seth was still in school at uh, UNCC. Mm -hmm. Scott had just graduated ECU and we would go play weekends. And at the end of the weekend, uh, I would get you know, a roll of two, 200 bucks, 300 bucks, if it was a good weekend. And uh, I noticed one night, you know, Scott counted out all the money, gave me mine, that, that uh, they were gonna put theirs into the band. They were like, well, let's put ours into the band account. 
And I, you know, I said, well, put, you know, put mine in there too. Oh, Here, put, you know, put some of mine in there too. And I think that was one thing. And then... What well, was your logic behind that choice? Uh, investing in some... Demonstrating know, your Being commitment. a part of a team, yeah. I guess. Uh, belonging, yeah. I guess. Um, uh, seeing their example, you know. Uh, and then we recorded Country Was, which was like an EP, eight-song EP. Your first album. Yeah, that, technically the second, Ava, they did an EP mm-hmm. a year before that with like four songs, um, before I was with them. And in fact, when I started playing with them, it was called Nemo Back Porch Project, which was what uh, Nemo was their rock band. So um, they wanted to, Scott was going to pay me for my time for the recording and I said, well, just, I want to be a part of the record. I want to get my cut. I'd rather, you know, not be paid now and, and just be a part of the record. Mm-hmm. I think that was another thing. And then I booked our first tour out of North Carolina in 2002 uh, using the internet at the time, which was very a new thing for me, was the internet. And I booked us a 21-show tour, or maybe less than 21 shows, but... I booked us a 21-day 20, tour, and um, it was like sports bars and Irish pubs and terrible places. <laughs> wonderful people. We met wonderful people, uh, and I give those guys a lot of credit for, um, for just believing in me to do. They didn't think I would do it. I did it. We went on that tour, and then we... We had some really successful, for us at the time, it was very successful, and there were people that wanted us to come back. And we, we believed that, well, if these people want us to come back, we gotta, we gotta come back. And I think that was one of the major things that kind of propelled us to keep going. Uh, at the same time, while we were doing that tour, we, we uh, sent out applications to do the NACA conference, which is a, a, a conference of college student unions and they booked the, uh, the 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 entertainment for the semester and we got accepted to to uh, showcase at one of those so i think those two events were very important for us as far as deciding to not for scott and i to not go to graduate school which we were both accepted to and and expecting to do and i think um those things helped them uh just I think they they saw like that I was a hard worker tell the truth to yourself and the rest will fall in place later I asked Bob how his artistic sense of himself informs how he shows up both in the band and how he shows up as a leader well now I you know again all these years on I it's also different now, right, than it was uh, in the earlier days. Um, but I think some things have happened uh, in that time that have uh, changed the way I look at my role or um, w- what can I do to benefit, what can I represent up here that is of value to people that are into the band or or, or just watching us. And I think my experience with my daughter having cancer um, and taking a year off and then coming back um, and loyalty uh, to the guys, um, 
just sharing in that, just being a part of the family and there's a fabric. I think we all, you know, we all kind of uh, together, all of us up there on stage and in the group, there's a, we, 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 we create a fabric and we're very, in all the ups and downs, you know, we've had, you know, divorces, we've had tragedy with children, we've, we've uh, experienced uh, deaths of loved ones together. I think that that's weaved a fabric and the music, I think, very much uh, reflects that. And so, you know, what I noticed when I, I know I'm kind of rambling here a little bit, jumping back and forth, but uh, when I took my year off, um, I would show up periodically and that was a time of, of kind of like, well, do I come back? If I do come back, how do I come back? What is that like? Do I want to come back? Um, because I would come back and I would find myself um, in my heart just kind of bitter and see people celebrating, having a great time. I'm leaving St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, going down to Mississippi, playing a gig where people are are as they should be celebrating and enjoying life and meanwhile an hour or two hours away there's this hospital full of really sick children many of them are, aren't going to make it and you know like you know what is you know what is this like what what am i doing you know but then i received like i remember one letter particular from a person who had uh gone to see us uh, before their brain tumor surgery and and just uh people that received another from someone who saw us shortly after a, a surgery and, and just telling me like, seeing you up there, that, that represents, that's me, that, you know, and that's such a small uh, segment of the population, um, but that's someone who's underrepresented. Yeah. And then uh, when we made, when the documentary was made about us, uh, there's just uh, scenes of like my daughter getting her G-tube feeds and we're getting medicine through a G-tube and parents writing in saying, you know, my kid's got a G-tube, you know, thank you. And so, you know, that has become in the years since, like if I get jaded or exhausted or tired or question, uh, what, you know, what am I doing? What's the, what's the bigger thing here? Where, where I've lived the, the, the teenage G dream of being a touring uh, rock musician, what's the, what's the, you know, I'm 48 years old, what's the bigger play here? Like, what's the, well, okay, what, what does this really mean? Where is there meaning in this other than of doing something and just being flashy about doing something? Um, uh, and I think that's what I, I always go back to. You know, there is a bigger, a bigger thing. Press on is a duty. It's a, it's like, you know, this, your kid gets sick and you, you, I think, you know, if you don't have a child who's been seriously ill, there's a feeling that you're like, well, I can take care of my child. I can pretty much, whatever comes, you know, I can, we'll take them, we can fend it off in some way. We can take them to the doctor. It's 99.9% .9 of the time, it's not a complete, uh, you know, tragedy, or it's not a complete something that's incurable or or not uh, treatable. You know, that's so rare. 
And so when that happens, you become unmoored, I think, from even your sense of, of the role of a parent and that one job you have, which is to keep your kid alive. Um, and when you can't do that any longer or to keep your child safe, when, that's, when, you, when it's been revealed, because so it's like this whole idea of having control over your life. And we, none of us have any control over our lives at all, but we have this, you know, we kind of put up this facade that we do have control of our life. Uh, but when it is revealed to us that we have no control and that we, were, we are all, you know, it, it's a fragile road. We're walking a fragile road here. Um, th- then, then you're like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do everything I can and you see all of this happen a lot. You see a lot of children will get cancer and their parents will start a foundation, which is an incredible amount of work. It is incredible. And they, they throw their heart and soul into it. And I think that that's a, just a response that we got to do something. I don't know what to do. But what makes Press On special is that um, we have a scientific advisory board. Parents make the, you know, uh, the Chance family, the Simpkins family, and the Crawford family, we make the decision on where the money goes. We have the final say. And um, that puts the parents in the driver's seat. You know, I, I tell people, people give to St. Jude and my daughter's name all the time. And I tell them, don't stop doing that. Give to St. Jude. That's a great place to give your money. We've been the beneficiaries of that charity for years. Um, and then there's, but there's press on too. And, you know, wherever your heart uh, leads you, whatever you feel good about, you know, Crawfords are, are good with that. They're good with either. Enjoy. It used to be a man's world, but we didn't treat it right. It used to be a man's world, but all we did was fight. I'm glad it's finally in the hands of the women and the girls. I can't wait to see what they do with what's left of the world. Given everything going on in their lives, I asked if he, Seth, and Scott are able to just concentrate on music. You can't. Um, And if you look at the song uh, subject matter, and this has come up with a recent album because we've had songs that... On this record, uh, that are more socio-political. We Americans. Yeah, we Americans and bang, bang and... I think what is good, I think there are some things that are non-negotiable. Like, I think we Americans, I don't see a controversy with that song. Because that's, again, as someone who studies history, that's non-negotiable. That, that is, that is, that's real. That's true. Like, that song is true. I unfortunately was on... One of the, like Instagram or something, and somebody made a comment about it, and I didn't respond to it, but I'm just thinking, like, how, I wish they wouldn't play that propaganda. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking, this isn't propaganda. This isn't propaganda. And what's beautiful about the song, and doing a podcast, I hate when people bang the table and put their hands on the table, but what's, what's, uh, what's beautiful about the song is that, and Seth so my first reaction to that song that was written by Seth was Seth's been reading Henry Adams. And Seth, for me, has always been, you know, Scott's the carnival barker 
uh, Seth's the crooner. Seth is 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 Scott's uh, uh, bearing the soul like a like a preacher. Um, uh, Seth is um, the eloquent eloquent wordsmith. And if you are if you read American history, Henry Adams was the most eloquent, well written. Um, he had the greatest hand. I've, I've not said this in a few interviews. I don't know how to say this sentence uh, uh, grammatically correct, but the man knew how to write prose. He knew how to write history. He, he understood history as prose. I don't know if that's right. But Seth, I remember a couple years ago, started reading Henry Adams. I was like, oh yeah, this makes perfect sense. Like to me, I was like, yes, of course. Uh, the two go, go great together. And so when I heard We Americans, I was like, oh, this is the, this is the, you know, the artist. Talk about the artist. He's, you take in and then you, you put out, right? And so this, okay, this is the result. That my, it wasn't like the subject matter, you know, the telling you, and this is where my head's at. The first thing I thought when he played We Americans for me was, this is the natural product of Seth reading Henry Adams. And most of the population, I hope this makes people read Henry Adams. But as far as the, and I said to him, I said, you know, you're going to need a bibliography for this song. Historians are going to want to see your work. Where's your, what's, the histori- what's the historiography here? Uh, and he has a bibliography for it. So uh, he's done his job. And uh, people can write a count- counter We Americans if they wish. But I think it stands on strong historical footing. Uh, there are sources and footnotes. And there's evidence. So that is not controversial to me. Is that an act of leadership? That's an act of, oh, well, let's, you know, if you want to talk about an act of leadership, all these songs are an act of leadership, right? Because they're, um, right, like, Carolina Jubilee, a lot of songs about girls and cars. It's hard to sing those songs now because it's just, you know, we've done a few this year and it's like kind of not there anymore. And it's kind of. When you've got like the song, Sorry Man, and you're singing a song about going to somebody's girl's parents and saying, me and your daughter are out of here, and you're a 45-year-old man, that's kind of creepy, right? That's kind of weird. I am a son of Uncle Sam, and I struggle to understand the good and evil, but I'm doing the best I can. In a place built on stolen land with stolen people. Blood in the soil with the cotton and tobacco. Blood in the soil with the cotton and tobacco. Blood in the soil with the cotton and tobacco. I ended the interview by asking Bob if he had any advice for up and coming artists and artist leaders. I would say, um, and this. I can't put an example on this, but this comes to mind a lot with my with my kids and with my son in particular. It's the idea of like seek things that are lasting. I don't know, like seek, like look at things of of investments. You know, the way you act, look at that as an investment in the future. The way uh, the way you choose to, I don't know, spend your money, 
the way you, where you, how you choose to spend your time, where do you want to put your focus of your time? That's a great currency. It's like, I think back to my younger, you know, younger, younger years, and I said, and this is just probably what every middle-aged man thinks, but it's like, man, if I put more time into practicing, or if I didn't go out, if I didn't have to go to the party every night, and I did other things that were more, uh, uh, if I was building more than I was destroying, <laughs> uh, you know, that'd be great. But then, you know, then the other thing is, well, this is where I am. I've gotten here somehow by the grace of God. Uh, but the, the advice is for the budding artist is to um, look at your, look at your, um, your ability, uh, your uh, approach it with being very, be honest, be vulnerable, look at your time as an investment, I guess. But, you know, on, I think the, a lot of the success of the Ava Brothers music is the honesty and the vulnerability and the genuineness. And I think it's, you know, no one, you're, you're going to, if you, if you can reveal something that's hard to talk about or that uh, doesn't put you in the best light and you can do it in an honest and humble way, uh, people are, I think every time they're going to, you know, you don't have to sound like, if you're a young artist, you don't have to sound like whatever is popular right now. And you don't have to be refined. Like that, that that's not important. What, it, what will come through, and there's so many artists out there that are just a, a, an echo of this or um, an example of this. You can be very, just, um, you can just be your, if you're yourself and you can be comfortable in that and be vulnerable and, and be genuine, people are going to, so, you know, somebody is going to like notice that, recognize that, respect that, and appreciate it. And be inspired by it. The best winners are losers. The best lovers ain't never been loved. And first place ain't easy. The hardest part is believing. The very last word. Rob, that is a man who leads with his heart. That was really a very moving interview. Yeah, he's all heart. You could feel it the moment he walked in the door when we met him to interview. He's he he's led by his caring. He's led by him, his sense of self. He's a gentle guy. Um, he's honest and vulnerable, and you just you feel it coming off of him. Right, and he's he you know he denies this idea of being a leader, but he's really that leader from behind. And it, the metaphor just jumped out at me. You know, this is not the boss. This is the bass player. I mean, the bass player is that foundational groove in a band, and they stand behind the lead singers. But if you don't have a bass player, you don't have a band. Right, and it, actually, you say that a lot of their songs don't even have um, drums necessarily. The bass is literally providing the percussion, so he's the strong and steady. And I think he really understands his role um, in talking with him. He, under, he, he recognizes where he fits 
um, both in the music sense and also where he fits with the two brothers and when he inserts himself and when to stay back. And he really understands his sense of place and the value he brings. And he made such an interesting choice, you know, at the beginning, which was to invest his own pay in the band. I think that sort of moment of serving the greater good, I mean, he is in that sense, a servant leader, uh, that kind of an idea. It's just really clear that that's one of the things that continues to be how he operates. I also thought another thing that was really moving to me is he said, all songs are an act of leadership. This is something that I really try to work on with my students is to see that the vision that an artist has when they write a song or a poem or a play or you know, make a movie, that in and of itself is an act of stepping into a leadership role. And it's not the act of making it that's the leadership, it's the vision that's the leadership. Corey, the, the, the leadership language around that is we talk about um, direct leadership versus indirect leadership. So direct leadership is if I show up and I'm guiding people directly, I'm directing a play, whatever the case might be. Indirect leadership, where which is the thing I put on the, out in the world has an impact and an influence just simply by it being out there. It's not necessarily I'm pushing it on others. And that to me is that, that act of leadership by their songs. Yeah. And he said, you know, what can I represent up here that is of value to the people engaged in my work? So he's never thinking of himself. He's always thinking of his followers. Yeah. What's the bigger thing here, he asked. And I thought that was also really moving. Yeah. Very community oriented. Thanks so much for that interview, Rob. This podcast is produced by Pierre Carlo Talenti. Our theme music is by The Dimes. Special thanks to Tony Gamble and Dolph Ramser. The songs you heard in this podcast are from the Avid Brothers' latest album, Closer Than Together. We'd love to hear from you, so please find us on Facebook at the Keenan Institute for the Arts and leave us your thoughts. Give us any ideas you have on extraordinary leaders you'd like for us to talk with in the future. I'm Rob Kramer. And I'm Corey Madden. Thanks for listening. 